Well, we're up to Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up there. We're continuing. Uh, it's really the same passage, uh, same thought from Deuteronomy 29 that we looked at two weeks ago before we Sunday. Uh, beginning of Deuteronomy 29, if you were here two weeks ago, begins by saying this is the covenant that God commanded Moses to make with Israel in addition to the covenant or besides the covenant he made with them at Horeb, uh, Mount Sinai. So it's this other covenant that's made on the plains of Moab, kind of between Mount Sinai and entering the promised land. Remember in chapter 29 we looked at there's this short summary of the history that God brought them out of Egypt and provided for them in the wilderness. There's this statement of the basic covenant relationship. You will be my people and I will be your God. The basic covenant obligation. I will be your God. And the basic punishment for breaking that is going into exile. And that's where we left off two weeks ago is with this exile. Uh, tonight we're going to look at chapter 30, just verses. I felt like 1 through 20 was a little bit too ambitious. Uh, 1 through 10 is a bit short, but interesting dynamic. Let's read it and look at it together. When all these things come upon you, the blessing before you, and you call them, and outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven. From there the Lord your God will gather you. From there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you This is God's word. This passage begins, when all these things come on you. It's looking beyond the exile. Remember, it left off at the end of 29 with the anger of the Lord, brings all its curses upon you. The Lord uproots you from the land and sends you into exile. It's looking after that. When all these things come on you, the blessing and the curse the blessing that God's given you the land. You're going to cross the River Jordan. You're going to go into the land and inherit it. The blessing will come on you, but also the curse. After all of that, when all these things come upon you, then what? Is that simply the end? Is God done with Israel at that point? No, 
Moses says in this chapter, there is grace even in exile. That's not the end of the story. Grace even in exile. The basic message of this section we're looking at, these 10 verses, is this. That God's covenant faithfulness and purposes stand even when God's people fail. God's covenant faithfulness stands even when God's people fail. So God's people failed, they get sent into exile, and yet God's covenant faithfulness stands. Well, it's saying when all these things happen, then, it's a uh, kind of an if-then type statement. When these things happen, when, 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 then this will happen. And let's look at the steps in this process, this process of repentance and returning to the Lord. First, in verse 1, and you call them to mind. You call to mind the blessings and the curses. You remember, oh yeah, God said back in Deuteronomy that if we stray from him, we will be exiled. He said all these things. He warned us. You call that to mind. So the first step is to remember God's word, that the land is God's blessing and exile is his punishment. And then in light of that remembering, second, Israel acts. It says, you will return to the Lord your God, you and your children. This word return or turn is actually a key term throughout this verse. I think it's used seven times, not in this verse, but this, uh, these 10 verses. Uh, when you call them to mind, it's literally you turn them into, over in your mind. You return to the Lord. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. He'll return your fortunes to you. Uh, so literally this word return keeps happening throughout the passage. Well, Israel's going to remember and they will return to the Lord, you and your children, and you will obey his voice with all your heart and all your soul. Is that language familiar from anywhere? The blessing? Which part there, Nate? The Lord bless you and keep you, that part? Sorry, I'm putting you on the putting you on the spot here. Heart and soul, high school and middle school. Yeah, yeah. The part the part I'm reminded is the part uh, Dan's remembering here in Deuteronomy six four five. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Certainly, that language of heart and soul crops up in a number of spots uh, uh, throughout, and it's it's echoed in, I think three times in this passage uh, here in verse uh, uh, two. You'll obey with all your heart. And with all your soul. In verse 6 in the middle, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And then at the very end, verse 10, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. So it ties it all together obeying, loving, and turning to the Lord. So this process starts out with remembering God's word and then turning to God or returning to God and obeying Him. Then from that point on, it describes what the Lord will do. The Lord will return your fortunes. Uh, the Lord will uh, uh, show mercy to you, have mercy on you, or, or he'll come out and he'll meet you with love. The same phrase could mean either thing. Uh, and that calls to mind, at least in my mind, the story of the prodigal son and the father running out to meet him with love. And that's kind of the picture here. Uh, if you... Remember your God, uh, your true father, you return to him. He's going to come running out to you like the father in that parable. 
and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Indeed, even if your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, uh, probably means like under the sky, under the, you know, the far corners of the sky, they're all the way wherever they are, the Lord will bring you, or the Lord your God will bring you into the land your father's possession. He'll gather you back from everywhere. And that language is actually used in, by uh, Jesus in the Gospels, uh, Matthew 24, 31, uh, and, and the parallel Gospels, but I'll just read it from Matthew 24. If I can flip over there. Matthew 24, 30, uh, we'll pick up 29. Immediately after the tribulation in those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the heavens. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's uh, echoing Daniel. And then he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Uh, Jesus seems to be alluding there to the Greek uh, translation of or, or, or the language, you know, translating through the Greek seems to be alluding to this passage. Um, and I think it's more than just an illusion. Peter's telling us that we all live like exiles, you know, in our morning series. We all live like exiles here in the earth. And so when Jesus uses that language of, of at the last day the Son of Man appears and he gathers from the four corners or the four winds, he gathers his people together. He's saying just like God promises here in his covenant faithfulness to gather, regather his elect exiles, uh, Jesus is kind of applying that same idea uh, just like that, uh, that there'll be this return or gathering of the exiles. So there'll be a return to the land then, and he will make it more prosperous, and he will make you more, or make you rather more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. Any comments on that first part of the process? Yeah, Dan. Yeah. 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 That. Yeah. Looking around us at people who seem to have uh, strayed from God and yet can be gathered back if they return to Him. Um, yeah, and it, and it, 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 in the context of Deuteronomy here, it's setting up the terms of the relationship in the land, and it's saying when you're in the land, I know this is all going to happen. You guys are not going to keep the law. Um, Moses said, "Was it last time you're not able to?" In chapter twenty nine, uh, God's saying, "I realize that you will break the law, and yet nevertheless, I'm going to bind myself to you as your God, and you will be my people." Well, the center of this whole uh, 10 verses, uh, this section here, comes in verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. That metaphor uh, is interesting. In ten sixteen, back much earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 10, there Moses uses the same strange metaphor of circumcising the heart 
And he says, he commands Israel, you must circumcise your hearts. Uh, the Israelites must do it. And there he says it means to remove your stubbornness so that you will obey the law with your whole heart. But here the Lord is saying, I myself will do what you have been commanded to do. Both chapter 10 and here in chapter 30 assume that what Israel really needs is heart surgery, that they need work done in their heart to follow the Lord correctly. Earlier, Moses has told them, circumcise your hearts. Here, the Lord is saying, after you go into exile, after I gather you back, I myself will do the work in your heart that is needed. I will make your hearts such that you can actually love me as you should. After the land, after the exile, after the return, God himself will fulfill the precondition for obedience. This passage is also, or this verse is also used in the New Testament in Romans chapter 2, verse 29. Paul says there, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And uh, Paul there is picking up the same idea that it's a work that God needs to do in your heart by his spirit. It's not something physically that we ourselves can do. I know we talked about this many weeks ago now in chapter 10, but are there any other discussions or comments on this? Yeah, Nate. I think it's interesting that this section uh, begins, as you said, with uh, um, letting the Lord be God of the Lord's work, and then the Lord will do that, and then it ends with that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so it's both God's, he commands us, and yet it's God's work that is the precondition. Yeah, Chris. Circumcision is uh, a renewal of the covenant. It's you're being set aside for me. You are my people now. That was, you know, the same thing as baptism for God. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That the um, to badly paraphrase the Westminster standards, uh, that the sacraments, the circumcision and baptism, are a sign and a seal of the Spirit's work. And here, it's talking about the Spirit's actual work. What they're a sign and a seal of. That it's it's um, circumcision physically is the outward sign and seal, and yet this is the inward work that it's a sign of. Um, what the Spirit does. Yeah, Steve. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. 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 Yeah, great. Yeah, thank you guys for a good discussion. Uh so the, uh, this is the center and really the highlight of this passage or the or the or the center point that as as Steve said that God is going to do this work within us uh so that we can love him as we ought to uh, this work of regeneration here. There are also external benefits. And so in the next verse, in verse 7, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecute you. So the enemies were used as God's curse on you. Now the curses will be put on the enemies themselves. Uh, It's interesting, sort of as a more general principle, that uh, God uses various nations like Babylon that takes Israel into captivity as part of that process, I mean, the passage that Nate taught on a few weeks ago, um, horrible things that go on when, when Babylon and Assyria and others, um, uh, what do you call it when you camp around a city? I can't think of the word. Siege, uh, you know, when they lay siege to the city, uh, all kinds of horrible things go on. And yet God's saying, this is, I'm using these people as part of my punishment. But that doesn't mean that they just get off the hook then for what they did. Now it says, actually, they're also going to be punished for those wrong things that they did. Verse 8 then uh, uh, is interesting. We're back where we started in verse 8. So it seems to be the next step in this process, and yet it's right back where we started. Verse 8, you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. But verse 2 is, and, and, and Nate and Steve's comments already kind of got at this, but verse 2 already says this whole process begins when you return to the Lord and obey his voice. Then I'll bring you back, I'll circumcise your heart, and then you shall again obey the voice of the Lord. It's, it's almost um, paradoxical the way Moses states it, that he's saying you're going to obey, then the Lord will circumcise your heart, then you'll be able to obey. Um, uh, it, 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 there is obviously a bit of a mystery here involved in this, that God is at work Uh, And we confess that God ultimately is even the reason why we return to him, that he's at work within us. And yet we're also commanded to do things. We're commanded to return to him. We're commanded to obey him. And so there's a bit of a mystery to that dynamic. First Peter is interesting in this light. Uh, Peter regularly refers to faith as obeying, uh, that we obey the word of God. We obey Christ. And so faith is submitting to Christ as our Lord, saying, yes, I'm going to obey you. And so maybe that's sort of the sense here. When you return to the Lord and obey him, you're saying, yeah, I'm going to submit to you as my covenant Lord. I'm coming back to you. The Lord circumcised your heart. And then over time, progressively, we learn to obey his law better in response to that grace.
Then in verse 9, more blessing. Uh, I want to jump down towards the end of verse 9 first. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. Um, this word delight, uh, he'll, be, he'll have great joy uh, in blessing you as, as doing good. So he'll have joy in doing good for you. That the Lord's not miserly. He's not upset, but he actually delights. He's joyous about doing good for his people. God wants to do good for his people. But in a sense, uh, not in a sense, in reality, it would not be good for the Lord to do good for his people while, as we looked at in the middle of verse chapter 29, they're worshiping false idols. That would just reinforce wrong ways of worship. It wouldn't be right while they're practicing all sorts of things that it describes in chapter 29 and earlier to do good for them in a way that reinforces that as if, well, I can just do whatever I want and God's going to do good to me no matter what. So there are preconditions in a sense, although God's grace is always given to uh, Proverbs. He makes it to rain on the wicked and the just alike. So his grace is always given. But in this sense of blessing his people, he wants to bless them. And so he delights that his people have come back to him and that he can once again bless them. He identifies four blessings. He'll prosper you in your work. Okay, your work will go well. You will have fruitful wombs, fruitful herds, and fruitful gardens. Kind of interesting to pair those three together, but that's the four blessings. We should note that lacking these does not automatically mean that you are somehow cursed by God. Dealing with infertility, for example, doesn't mean that you're not that you're cursed by God except in the general sense that the curse of sin characterizes all of life. And so we live in a fallen world and we experience some of that. Uh, And it's interesting, each of these blessings does seem to refer back to those curses in Genesis 3, be reversals of those. Uh, But 1 Peter, as we looked at this morning, we can suffer even for doing good. So it's not a sure sign. And yet, nevertheless, Moses tells us here that the Lord rejoices, he delights, in doing good for you, that that's his basic disposition, his basic desire. That's why we end our services with a benediction in the mornings. It's the Lord blesses us. That's what he calls us into his presence to do. We worship him. He blesses us. And then verse 10, we really are right back to the start. He will delight in in doing good for you when you obey the voice of the Lord your God. You keep his commandments and statutes written in this book. And you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. So it's, it's looking not necessarily at the initial joining of the covenant, but it's saying once the covenant is, in a sense, you've lived life in the land, you've experienced the blessings, you've gone into exile, you're experiencing the punishment, what happens then? Well, you return to the Lord and the whole process starts again in these verses. Any other discussion or comments? Yeah, Nate. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And Peter drums that home so much in that in 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 his opening. This inheritance that's held for you in heaven that's imperishable and uh, undefiled. I can't remember all the the terms he uses there, but yeah, really fixes our eyes on the end goal from the from the beginning there, um, before he. Tells us about all the suffering and everything else that comes as part of part of the process. Yeah, great comments, Nate. It does seem like that prodigal son parable. It's interesting to read that in light of this because you know uh, uh, God will have mercy on you, or He'll meet you with love. Um, he'll gather you. Uh, yeah, and then and then delights to bless you that He's rejoicing and in, in doing good for you. Uh, and about and, and then of course the whole thing's about returning to His Father and here Israel returning to God. Yeah, John. Oh, yeah. 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 as a sociological fact that a stable family it's good for the children and then the children's grandchildren that it that, that it accrues over time um of course there's broken homes in the church and outside the church and, yeah. no yeah yeah the bible tells us that but 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 yeah i mean there is a reality that in the general warp and woof of reality that living god's way disasters can fall on anyone suffering falls on anyone and yet in general, uh, living this way l- leads to better material life here in this world as well. I mean, material, that sounds crass, like you're going to be richer. But I mean, it's a stable way of living um, here in this life as well as uh, our great inheritance in the life to come. So yeah, yeah, I think that that's certainly true. And we got to sing hymns about a lot of those blessings that we experience here in life uh, as, as part of the church as well. Uh, good, good selections on those, Chris. Let's, uh, let's, is there, was there a comment there, Dan? Okay. 
Uh, let's let's sing our final hymn then. If I can find the sheet here, I guess I stored it, and then we will, uh, and then we'll pray together. Our final hymn is number seventy-seven.